0: We're sisters, best friends, and authors on a mission to help you stoke your creative fire and live the life of your dreams. We believe that purpose fuels passion and that creativity is your secret weapon for mass construction. There's never been a better time to bless the world with your dream realized. You're listening to The Kate and Abby Show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to The Kate and Abby Show. This is episode 21, and today it's going to be a special episode because we have a special guest, Dave Chesson of Kindlepreneur.com. Dave is a book marketing tactics guru. His mission is to empower authors and take their book sales to the next level. He's also the creator of Publisher Rocket, which is a software that helps authors see what's really going on in Kindle marketing. So we're super excited to have Dave on the show today. We're going to ask him some questions about Kindle publishing, indie publishing, book marketing, all the things, as well as ask him some of your questions that came in through the community over on my YouTube channel. So let's get into the interview. Hey, Dave, thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Yeah, no problem. Uh, Thank you for having me.
2: Absolutely. So Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, how you got here, and what your story is?
1: Sure. Well, uh, I'm not going to lie. When I was a kid, I was diagnosed with uh, dyslexia. And throughout my life, I just never really thought I was meant for writing. Uh, I struggled horrendously uh, when it came to English class. So I excelled more in math and physics, uh, went on to college to get a physics degree, uh, did nuclear engineering, basically was like trying to distance myself as much from English as possible. However though, just because you're afflicted with something and just because something's really hard for you, doesn't mean that the desire to do it doesn't just die or go away. Um, you know, ha- having been someone who's been a huge fan of reading sci-fi and fantasy books, um, you know, it's always just been a core part of me. And it wasn't until later in my military career that my wife and I had this discussion about what exactly is the long-term goal? What, what is it that we truly want to be? And when we started to define what success to us as a family was, it was about being home. Um, and for me, I needed to be able to create a career that would allow me to be home with my kids instead of with the military where I was like constantly, uh, somewhere else. Um, you know, I'd spent multiple years deployed and that is when writing books became kind of the answer. Thanks to Kindle Direct Publishing, I could write books when I could on the side while still being a full-time dad and a full-time, you know, military person going out to see all the time. I even wrote my first book while out on a South Korean warship, uh, patrolling the the DnZ. And that is too I, cool. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. I um, I even got a picture of the of 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 me getting transported from a helicopter onto the Korean ship. You know, with my bag, and right in the bag is my laptop. You know, that I brought <laughs> to sit and be able to write my book.
0: Oh, That is and, epic. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was fun. Um, and yet, I mean, it just goes to show that you can write a book from anywhere, and right. you can still do it on the side. It's, it's not something where you have to, you know, quit your job and and do it, you know, or as some people say, uh, jump out of an airplane and figure out how to build a parachute on the way down. Like that's just <laughs> not my style. Right. Um, so I did it on the side, and more importantly, someone like me who isn't a natural or Ernest Hemingway by any means, uh, still I'm not. I started to understand some key components and that's, you know, that was when I started looking at Amazon and asking myself, why does Amazon choose this one book over another? And more so if I can do these things, if I can meet the needs of the market, if I can write, um, if I can develop book covers that engage, you know, what else do I need to do in order to convince Amazon, show my book to these shoppers instead of someone else. And For me, that was a real game changer is when I started to really apply my analytical mind uh, and kind of background to understanding Amazon and why it chooses to do the things it does. And that really led me down the path to creating Kindlepreneur, um, which at the time, there was nobody really answering those questions. And I really wanted to kind of take an approach where every article I wrote would be something that would teach, uh, would give authors the ability to learn, turn around, take action, and see results.
0: That's awesome. That is so cool. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing how, um, how much we're able to do now with the internet, with like how you mentioned, just writing wherever you are, it doesn't matter where you are in the world and making a business out of that. It's just so, so cool.
2: Yeah. And I mean, like the circumstances you were writing your first book under, I, I know there's so many people listening to the podcast who have written us and been like, oh, you know, I, I'm commuting to work. I'm working all day. It's like, you know, Right on your commute, you can, like you said, you can really write anywhere, and it's technology allows us to do
1: that now. Absolutely, and I would say too, especially on the commute, uh, that's when I take the time to learn. Uh, That's where podcasts really come in handy. Is you know, joining certain podcasts and being able to learn and listen, engage. Uh, There are great podcasts on on writing. There are even ones that are specific to genres. Uh, And then on top of that, couple it with book marketing so that you understand the industry. Uh, that way, every drive truly is is helping you to go that further, uh, that much further. Another thing that I think was really pivotal towards my writing and author success was that I actually started getting up at four in the morning every morning, and uh-huh. it didn't matter Monday through Sunday, That was what I would do. And the reason for that is that there were no kids, there was nobody on social media, there was nobody telling me you know, or giving me the do list or anything like that. There was nobody, it was just me. And when it's just me, I could really get the writing done. And if you create that habit of writing every day, no matter what, uh, that's when you really start to see not only an improvement in your writing, but also greater leaps towards a, a true author career.
0: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That is so true.
2: Yeah. Having the discipline to be able to really carve out the time is so important because the writing time isn't going to fall into your lap. Sometimes you just have to you have to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And, and
1: life is messy. And chaotic, especially if you've got kids, you're married, you've got a job. All of a sudden, you may say to yourself that I'm going to write between 7 and 8 p.m. You know, I'm going to write before I go to bed. But the fact of the matter is you're tired. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, you can't have coffee right before you you go to bed. It doesn't work that way. Or, you know, the kids need something or or one of them sick or, you know, just insert anything here. And all of a sudden, even though you have the intentions and you keep scheduling yourself for something... You're going to find that you're going to constantly be having to do something else. And that subtle change in your, in your mind of where something else could get in the way, um, it just really affects your, your peace. I know that at four in the morning when I sit down, it's really just me and my word processor. Mm. That's it. There's no fear. There's nothing in the back of my mind that something's going to happen to stop me from doing this. And when that happens, I felt that I break writer's block a lot better. You know, I'm, I'm less yeah. likely to go to social media to, right. I don't know, <laughs>
2: look Exactly. At something
1: because I can't write.
2: Right. So, you're yeah. in that, you're in that focus zone, which is so important. Actually, we talked about that on the last podcast, how creating a, a physical time or physical surroundings where you're like, this is my focus trigger can really get you there, whether it's like getting up early or being in a certain space.
0: Yeah. That's 100%. awesome. So we're going to, we're going to ask you a question that came in from our community to start off. Um, what made you choose indie and how did that help you turn into the marketing Jedi that you are? As in, what about indie got you deeper into marketing and what skills did you learn that you other- otherwise wouldn't have with a different publishing path?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I a lot of it pertains to the fact that at the time that I decided I wanted to start writing, I was in South Korea. Um times were really off, it, it was it would be really hard to find an agent, but more importantly, I also learned too that I talked to a couple of publishing uh, friends who had published and they started telling me exactly how much publishing companies would cut and some of the problems they ran into. One of the biggest things that I've learned now, uh, having sat on the board of publishing companies, sat in meetings when they were deciding who to choose and who not to choose uh, to send a contract, is that uh, first and foremost, the, I have found that, and I'm very lucky that I didn't experience it um, personally, but say, for example, this publishing company has 25 people they can sign for the quarter, right? Say so right. that's their magic number. The truth of the matter is they really only have the money and the time to, to market two of the 25, like fully, right? Now, they're going to give that to their star. You know, at least one of those spots. Uh, this person has published for them before, made a lot of money, or they have some reason to believe this person is truly uh, going to be their, their, you know, their um, uh, bell cow, right? right? So sometimes it comes down to it's you versus tw- uh, 23 other people on who gets the attention of the publisher. And even more so, again, the more you have that backs the belief that you're the sure thing, the higher chance that you're going to be one of those 23. And I've learned that sometimes it it doesn't even come down to who's the better read. Sometimes it comes down to exactly what you wrote. A lot of these publishing companies know full well that right now this particular trend in lit RPG is just taking off. You know, cultivation is the thing. And it just so happens you're the only one that that was a cultivation book out of the other 22. Um, You know, and so it could be just the understanding of the market. Another thing too is, is that, We talked about sure things for publishing companies. One crazy part about it is that if I come in with, say, uh, 30,000 email subscribers, they'll know that number. And that means that I have 30 or so thousand people that have enjoyed my writing that are ready to hear about my next book. That, to them, equates to money. So there's a lot of factors that are coming into a publisher selection period. And if I had started... I mean, let's just pretend I was a great writer from the get-go, right? If I had started with this idea that I was going to get signed from, from a publisher, there would have been a very good chance that I would have failed miserably, even though I was already a prolific writer. And we see that a lot. Um, J.K. Rowlings, uh, she got rejected 11 times by publishers until finally her agent pulled strings, twisted the guy's arm, and the guy threw the, the book to his 11-year-old Uh, kid and said here read the first chapter let me know what you think and that's how harry potter started i mean we're talking the greatest biggest money-making book uh in our living history and it was rejected over and over and over again and finally somebody was forced to look at it amazing (laughs) so i don't really like to leave things up to chance like that and i think self-publishing is an opportunity to take control and really dig in and learn and kind of be in, in in the driver's seat of your own career
0: yeah for sure. That's so true. And that made me think of I saw that kind of firsthand when I was um, when I was publishing my first book last summer. And I put it up on the site NetGalley, which I'm sure you've heard of mm-hmm. and probably used. And I um, I was noticing that it got really good, really high rankings in its category. So it was actually, it was number two most requested in Teen and YA category for a long time, for like several weeks. Yeah, so that was exciting. And I was noticing that the, the first one, the one that was ranking number one, and then the one that was ranking number three, were the only two books that I saw like, really marketed highly and then also in bookstores. But, like, every other book on that first page, I didn't see anywhere after that. And I'm like, these books are obviously, like, they're traditionally published. They're all getting really good high rankings. But they were obviously, they didn't have, like, a lot of promotion money to put behind those books. So I think that's a really good point that a lot of people don't think of is they just think like traditional publish they're going to market my book but
1: not necessarily right and and another big thing that kind of plays into it too is is that typically publishing companies will give will have this like mark in their mind that you need to make this many sales or so by this quarter and if you don't hit that mark then they almost like a lot of them stop returning your emails you know Mm. and and they stop their marketing efforts and what's worse is is that as a as a as an author You don't have the ability to set up Amazon ads for your book. You don't have the ability to change keywords. You don't have the ability to touch it. It just sits there in kind of like purgatory. Um, Yeah. And so that can be a really uh, hard thing for a lot of authors. So it's not that publishing or self-publishing is the answer. I I prefer the self-publishing route Uh, But more importantly, whether you choose either or, I think it's incredibly important that you still learn book marketing because you are going to have to do it yourself unless you won the lottery and you were one of those 25, you know, or you just happen to, I don't know, uh, write a book that just takes off like crazy. I I call them lottery winners. So,
0: yeah, right. It It really is. is. Yes, yeah.
2: And I think a lot of them, um, because we have tons of listeners who are just starting out in their writing career. So they're looking at publishing their first debut novel. And we've gotten a lot of questions about like, how important is it to already have a platform built? Um, isn't that something the publisher is going to do for me? And that was something you kind of just touched on just now. So I wanted to ask you one of our questions is, how important is it to already have a mailing list, to already have some of this audience collected this platform built before you're approaching publishers if you're going traditional and how does that work out for indie publishing as well
1: it makes it so much easier uh like i said i've sat in the meetings where they've decided not only who they're going to sign but also who they're going to give their their backing to and the number one thing that i heard discussed was email subscribers uh to them that really is currency that equates to cash Uh, Mm um i i've I even have a a buddy on his first book was able to get a initial uh, $200,000 signing fee uh, for his first ever book, but he had over 200,000 email subscribers and he had done that by writing on medium. So, I mean, he was a great prolific writer, but he had, that was, I, that and a really good proposal were the two things that just drove it to that three out of the five biggest publishers were fighting over who would get him. And, mm, um, wow. and again, first book. So that email subscriber list, I think is important. The other thing that I've really seen shift over the past five years or so is that, well, even further back, when I first started in self-publishing, publishers looked down on self-publishing. They kind of looked at it like, mm. you know, like the scrubs, you know, the C team, uh, you know, these, these people that could not Couldn't hack it in the publishing world. Um, And here they are just getting their book out there. The thing is, is that wisely, the publishing companies have started to look at self-publishers as what I would call free agents. Um, You know, think of it like in in baseball, right? You know, you've got your team and you've got a spot open. Why not turn to an existing pool where you see this list of authors that are self-published so they don't have a contract somewhere they have a following. They have written books that have over 1,000 you know, five-star reviews. You don't even need to read the book. You know it's good enough right. that the market likes it. And you know that they got their chops, and you know they have an email list. I, right. That is a much better situation than somebody over here who's got nothing except a book that you're now going to have to read and subjectively figure out whether or not you like it. So they're really starting to turn towards Sell publishers and try to recruit them out, and I think it's the best situation because most of the time, when they are trying to convince an author to come over, the deal is a lot better than if you're a no-name person getting your first opportunity. Um, you'll see that the contract is much better. So,
0: mm. yeah, that makes, that makes so makes sense. much sense because, like, in one case, you have you're knocking at their door or they're knocking at your door. I'm always I always saying that about like anything that I do. I'm like, I want them to come to me, (laughs) (laughs) which is, you know, it just gives you more time to get better at your game. And I'm sure that publishers are looking at that at rankings on Amazon, which I know you talk about a lot. And I see so many indie books now that are like number one, number one, number one in all their categories. I'm like, that's so cool to see that and to know that they're able to pull that off on their own. Yeah, it is. Um, So digging into what can you
2: tell us a bit about? what is publisher rocket and how can it help in the publish in publishing a book and what are its best features how can we use it to launch a successful kindle ebook
1: sure well uh the beginning or the purpose for creating rocket was back in the day i used to really i used to break out a whole bunch of excel sheets i used to track uh what books were doing how they were selling trends in the market. I also had this hardcore way to kind of figure out what the best keywords were for my books. And that was a major reason for for a lot of my book success. However, though, when you start trying to teach authors how to use Excel sheets and and have to track information and input data, it's it's like pulling teeth and rightfully so. So that's when I got a, a bunch of programmers together and we basically started creating software that would help authors to understand the market. Uh, instead of just guessing at what keywords they should put, and instead of just trying to find the categories that they should select, uh, we wanted to create something that brings all that information to the forefront so that authors don't have to have spend the time trying to dig through it. One of my favorite statistics or pieces of numbers on Amazon is that there are over 11,000 Amazon categories, right? Wow. Now, when you go to publish your book for the first time on Kindle Direct Publishing, they have that pop-up box, and there's the list, and you can select from. But those are actually called BISACs. Those are not um, Amazon categories. Hmm. BISACs are an international standard categorization, okay? It's actually really about supply chain logistics. The idea is that publishers, because they don't know what inventory or aisle certain store have – So what they do is they select their book and say, this book is a part of these two or three BISAC codes. Um, And then certain stores have in their inventory that all of these BISAC codes represent just fantasy. Okay. Because the store only has 20 aisles of which one is fantasy. They don't have fantasy, you know, epic fantasy, um, you know, and I'm trying to, I'm blanking out on the others, you know, lit RPG, Uh, Sorcery, etc. They don't have those different aisles. They just have the one. So their system will take the numbers and bring it in and say, oh, this book goes in the fantasy aisle. Well, Amazon does the same thing. So when publishers as well as us, when we select the BISACs, they say, okay, great. Now there's only 4,700 BISAC codes. Okay, There's 11,000 Amazon categories. So Amazon takes from the 47, parcels you into whatever they think, and then you just happen to be put in there a lot of authors are finding out that amazon's really doing a poor job and when they actually look they're seeing that their books are listed under things they shouldn't be Um, others are doing that intentionally but that's that's another thing but the point though is is that there's nowhere for authors to go to one spot and look and be able to see what categories they are how competitive they are how many people shop there um and that sort of thing and so that's our category feature right there brings that to the forefront lets you Be able to quickly see all of the categories and choose the best one for you. And one of the things we're coming out with really soon, which I'm really jazzed about, is we're going to be showing historic category data. So now authors can also look at those 11,000, see the trends in the market, see what's selling and what's decreasing in sales and so forth. So a lot of it is basically making it easy for authors as well as publishers now to understand the Amazon market and make better decisions. That's
0: awesome. awesome. That's really rad. That is so cool. Yeah, I I know that we've um we've been using your software, and I've just like scratched the surface of it. But I'm so excited to get more into it and to improve the way the whole way that I'm selling my book on Amazon. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that before Rocket came out, we still what we would do is we would type in Amazon and look to see what keywords people have typed in. But we never know if that keyword actually brought sales or if that keyword was actually being searched by a lot of people. Um, and so we've mm-hmm. now just kind of made it that you can see everything you need to know about a keyword. You you can tell if people are buying books that show up for that keyword. You can now see how many people are typing in that keyword. And it, wow. a lot of the things we see is just people blown away that, wow, like little to no people type in this phrase. But this one, lots of people type. You know, and again, wow, that's it's fascinating, pulling back that blind and letting people see what's happening inside amazon
0: right, yeah. awesome that's yeah that's, that's those invaluable. small differences are like so valuable to know for sure. Um, which actually, going off of that, this just came to mind. I don't know if someone asked this question, but I know that I get this question a lot myself, and um I'm wondering about your take on it is how do you manage to like juggle everything that you do so like everything with the business end of book marketing and for your own books and then also teaching it to others and also writing like how do you balance all of those things because that's a real challenge i'm sure
1: i'm very intentional with my time um Mm. one one thing i once heard i was actually reading a book about um uh being being a father, right? Improving, you know, being a good father to your kids. And it always talked about the intentionality of your time. And in it it said something where you can sit in a room with your children for 3 hours and get nothing out of it hmm. for both of you, right? Or you can just spend 5 minutes of being intentional about being in the room with your children and it would mean the world. And if you think about it, you can sit and have dinner and nothing happens. You're there, you're present, you're 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 physically there. But taking the time and asking them how their day went and truly engaging with them and not thinking about all the other things around you and what you just did at work or, you know, what's going on or what you're going to do. No, just focus on them and, you know, play a meaningful board game, put away your cell phone and you will find that in those five or 10 minutes, we'll just say just five or 10 minutes, you will get so much more done as a father to your kids if you just sat in the room for three hours. And if you take that same principle and you apply it to what you do and you're very intentional about the time you have, you will get so much more done. I think most authors feel worn out because they're spinning their wheels. They're spending three hours sitting in front of the computer, but they're not intentional about the time. Or they have assigned themselves this time period that they're going to work. And when they sit down, they just don't know what to do. So I would say being intentional about your time and being protective of your time are very important. I make my writing time uh still to this day I still do it from 4 to 7. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, I'm doing 4 to 7 and I'm writing. And then I have I kind of break up my day like that.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. That I love that being intentional with your time it's that's like so so important to being productive, I think for sure. Um did you have another one that yeah
2: so this one going going off of some of what you're saying on your blog and through your youtube videos which i've watched tons of your youtube channel is awesome and we'll actually link it up in the corner for those of you watching right now on youtube go check it out and be sure to subscribe there's some awesome material there you talk a lot about knowing your market when you're publishing a book so what do you mean by that and how would you break down understanding your genre market to new authors
1: yeah, well, I, I think the answer is different depending on whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Um, let's start with kind of what pe- most people think is the hardest, which is fiction. Um, with fiction, really understanding the way that your your shopper shops, like how did they think? How did they describe? Um, a great example of this, I'm a big litter PG fan, and so I truly understand that market much better because I'm an avid reader, and I work with a lot of the authors, and The truth of the matter is, is that there are so many different ways to describe a lit RPG. As a matter of fact, in the lit RPG genre, most authors argue over whether a book is technically this or not. I mean, if you really want to pick a fight with a lit RPG fan, uh, tell them that uh, Ready Player One is a lit RPG. That will take hours to dissect (laughs) because technically it is, but it's like pulling teeth. And now you start to get to the nuances. Well, it's game lit, right? Or, you know um they cultivate it's cultivation no it's not cultivation that is not the same thing you know and and <laughs> then there's even um asian uh um martial arts version which i'm i'm blanking on the name i think it's like wu gong or something like tai, tai, not tai chi but there are all these different nuances and there's it's even more so that the fans inside that genre will be up in arms if you try to say something uh if you're in dragon fantasy and you don't know what a weaver technically is um, you may drive your readership mad. Uh my favorite thing on the internet is actually reading the arguments as to whether or not um a certain dragon in either Game of Thrones or a certain dragon in The Hobbit was a weaver or an actual dragon, and <laughs> it's insane. Um and there is some craziness. The point is yeah. is that understanding The words and the importance and how people describe the stories that they're looking for can drive a much better book. And even more so when you're writing, understanding certain tropes, um, you know, not calling that a dragon when it's not. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) Um, these things could sink you. And so it's really important to know these things um, and truly be ingrained to that. Now, nonfiction is a lot easier, I'd say. Because nonfiction is about understanding the pain points of the person. Why is it that the person wants to learn how to quit smoking? Why is it that the person really wants to earn more money? Okay. That's a big question is why? The next right. question is um, who are they? Okay, and this is where I call it demographics. Uh, if you're writing, say, for example, we're we'll going parenting, right? Um, say you decide you're you're a background is phenomenal and parenting your doctor or whatever, or you studied or work with people for a long time. Great. The chances that you're going to write a book on parenting, okay, and somehow make it to the top of the market and, and make sales, may the force be with you. Okay. <laughs> However, though, if you do your research, Rocket will show you that there's a much, there's actually a lot of demand for parenting ADHD. Okay. And I, and what's funny is, is that you could tell somebody would type that into Amazon, but as a, as an English person, you know, as a grammar person, it's like, is it the parents have ADHD or the children? But the point <laughs> right. is, that's how the shopper types. And so knowing that, well, actually that's, that is an area that I could focus on. Now you have shifted your demographics to an existing market that is underserved and you will have a much higher chance of getting in front of that market and making sales than if you just written a, a tome on parenting in general, and you can even break that down to parenting teenage girls, parenting you know uh, infants, toddlers, um, parenting for the you know stay at home mom, parenting for you know the the nine to five work dad. You see, as we start to piece who it is we're speaking to, we're going to have a much more clear uh, message that's going to be reached or met by a clear existing market. So taking the time to research that really opens up not only opportunity, but gives you even better matter to to focus and write on. Uh, One great example of where this actually changed what an author wrote was uh, she was writing a book on how to sell art. But when we did our research, we found out that actually more people were typing into Amazon how to sell art online than just the phrase, how to sell art. Hmm. And the reason is, is that a majority of people weren't looking for the traditional route of selling art, you know, at at, uh, museums or at art shows or anything like that. They wanted to know where they could place their art online to some of these online shops and make sales. So for her, when we realized that that was a key, first off, that really helped with the title of the book. But second off, it also was like a, a wake up call of like, you really need to make sure your book has an online element. And at first, the person didn't have that. So I would say that it's really important to do that research, not just for a sales perspective, but also to make sure you write a better book.
2: That makes so much sense. Um, that actually leads right into the uh, another question, which actually came from our readers, but uh, one of our listeners, rather. Um, how do you strike a balance between writing for the market, but also letting your creativity kind of run wild and guide you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I do not believe in this idea. I mean, unless you're down and out, you're just trying to make money. I do not believe in the idea of doing keyword research to find any topic that you can write on to make money. uh, And I am not pushing authors who are artists to take that stance. But as we talked about with these examples, it can give you an opportunity to say in nonfiction to reach a certain uh, demographic that's being underserved. Did I tell the person they couldn't write a parenting book? No, but the research can give them an idea of certain types of parenting or certain parents that they should write for that need this information, but there's no books that cover it or the books that are there are really bad. Uh, A great example of this, you know, about this pairing is that a woman, I don't remember her particular name, but she was a, she had a doctorate in uh, personal finance. Uh, She's a professor and she wrote a bunch of books on, on, you know, money saving and how to grow your, your, your revenue and she went to this conference and she saw guy kawasaki up on the stage and after the show or so he came down And she's like i don't get it like i've read your books and i mean no disrespect but you leave out a lot of important information i've got a doctorate in this i've written all about these things and yet you continue to sell and you're up on stage and guy kawasaki famously looked at her and he said it's not because i'm the best author it's because i'm the best selling author He was able to reach the masses and grow from there, whereas she might have had more information, but she was just this giant book on all things finances, and that didn't connect with anyone. And so her words fell flat while he was up on the stage. And I think that this is just a really important dichotomy between art and a little bit of science. So we're not here to say, write only these things that will make money, but it is clear that when you do that research, you can find things that are very important like making sure you don't call that dragon a, a weaver or vice versa.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And that's really like the biggest, most important element is how you present your thing, how you are, how are you going to actually sell it? Um, and in that vein, what would you say are the most important things to nail aesthetically about your book? So like book cover, book blurb, the things that like really just first hit a person when they start to look at your book. What do you think are the most important elements there?
1: Well, I think the most important combination is your cover to title to subtitle. And what I believe is extremely important in the digital age is that, um, is that there be a symbiotic relationship between the three and that they're able to answer two to three very important questions. Now, before I get into those questions, the first thing I'm going to say is let's take, take all the listeners here through the, shall we say, the buyer's journey, okay? This will help to explain why those questions are going to be important. I'm a big-time fan of of, and again, we'll just stick to Lit RPG because we've been talking about it a bit, and maybe there are gonna be more Lit RPG readers after this. Um, <laughs> but I love Lit RPG. So I go to Amazon, I go up to the search bar, and I type in Lit RPG, and it's L I T R P G. Okay. Now, I have an, in my mind this type of book that I want. Okay. I might not have put the rest of the words in, okay, but I started with Lit RPG. Now I'm gonna scroll down. search results right when amazon lists all those books in a row and i'm gonna this is what's going to happen is my eyes are going to stare at the covers first and when i see something that catches my eye i'm going to quickly analyze it for what it shows me and my eyes then move over to the title and follow through all the way through the subtitle here's what's really processing through that buyer's journey is this my kind of lit rpg okay or better yet, does it, is this actually the right showing? Did Amazon show me a fantasy book or did they show me a litter PG book? Okay. Um, What type of, and we're going to call this sub sub genre is this. Okay. And what I mean by that is, yeah, technically it's a fantasy, but okay. Technically it's an epic fantasy, but all right. It's really a litter PG, see sub sub genre. And if your book doesn't convince me from the get go that this is my kind of sub sub genre i'm going to quickly scroll on to the next book i'm not even going to give you a chance we are in this world where it's so much easier for me to scroll 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 go back up add another word or two to my search term and keep searching sometimes all right yeah i'm going to click and that'll get to the next part of this answer but the key is is that if i'm not sure that this is my kind of thriller right blood-curdling, horrific thriller, or is it a wholesome detective thriller, right? If I can't gauge on exactly what level of genre this is, I will not give it a chance. So with that said, I think the lit RPG is a very important one because lit RPG, most likely it's a lit RPG game lit, which is usually somebody stuck in a video game. How do you make a cover that tells me that? Like, I mean, do you? I see the epic knight and he's swinging his sword against a giant berserker orc, you know, in a tunnel. All right, well, that could be a lot of different genres. Okay, I don't yeah, even that's a like, one. inside a fantasy, right? Yeah. So, and then you put, um, say, a title like Dungeon Lord. All right. Okay. So that's closer, but I still don't know. And this is where I would say the subtitle is very important. I say that it is a great idea to say. Epic, game, uh, epic lit RPG and game lit fantasy. Now, that's not stuffing keywords like a lot of authors will you know, give the Heisman to. But what it does do is it, it, it reaffirms in my mind, no, 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 this is the right sub-sub genre. Okay? Um, there's a great example that I like to show people. It's a cover, and it's got what's like a cowboy, I think. Uh, it's kind of dark, and it's shadowy, but there's this guy on a horse, and he looks like he has kind of a hat. It could be a cowboy hat. We're not sure. And off in the sky up above, it looks like ramparts slash, you know, um, uh, fireworks are blasting off. So I asked everybody and, and on the title of the book is called Hitch, H-I-T-C-H. That's it. I'm like, great. Tell me what this book is about. Some people are like, oh, it's a it's a lonesome cowboy uh, prior romance. Another person saw Civil War. That it's a civil war that's why ramparts you know uh blasting off in the air um and, and some others thought that you know it was um uh, the key is is that just looking at the title and, and the cover nobody knew nobody got it right it wasn't what it was now that book had an author who had a very large following okay and um that's also when you start to see author names become bigger and bigger on a on a cover because when you see Stephen king You know what kind of book you're probably gonna get into, right? Right. So, that word, Stephen King, tells you everything you need to know. All right. Right. But with that said, if you're not a known author, the name, the author name doesn't help. So, in this case, what would have helped Hitch is to put a little blurb to the right of it in the subtitle that says whatever that book is about, you know, uh, the sub sub genre. Is this a, a wholesome Western romance? Or is this a, you know, go through all the different types. But the point is, is that we really need to make sure that we don't confuse the, the shopper. Because when we confuse, we lose. Now, right. the next part is, is that once you convince the person to click on your book, they now have an idea of what sub-sub-genre this is. The biggest thing you can do is have a book description, okay, that helps to sell the book, not tell them the story. And more importantly, that you constantly reaffirm in their mind, this is your kind of book. Um, if it's an alien invasion epic sci-fi book or something, then you don't want to say that the that the spaceships went into space to to you know fight the Klendathu who have been ravaging other planets for years. No no, no, you, you've missed so much of the epicness and the kind of words I want to hear. I want to hear in the intergalactic war for, you know, for civil peace, the Klandathus have ravaged, you know, planet and, and species after species. Last defenses is Earth standing in their way. But who will win in this epic showdown that will, you know, tell the fate of the universe? And I literally just spitballed that. But notice that the words that I use were so much closer to my genre and how they would feel when they're looking for epic sci-fi military. Right. right? Right. So it's really important when you tie in all those elements, you will have a much better sales conversion where more people will stop at your book. They will click on your book and then they will click buy because you convince. And when you have those things out of sync, you're going to start to see that more of your efforts to get people to see your book, but less sales. This is where Amazon ads are really big is that when you set up Amazon ads, you can finally see how many people actually saw your book. You can see how many people out of that actually clicked on your book and then you can see how many of those actually bought your book and if you have a hitch in the system where the cover title is confusing or the book description really doesn't sell then all of that effort to get people to see your book will not come to sales which is the true fruition and so i think this really highlights the point of making sure that that funnel that path for the for the shopper is that much more clear and when you have it right Everything else you do, whether it's your email blast, other authors' email blasts, uh, social media, you name it, all of those things will show more sales. That, that makes
0: That
2: sense. makes so much
0: sense. Yeah.
2: Like Abby, one of her favorite sayings is um, a confused mind always says no. And it makes so much sense because you have to, the first thing you're going to look at is the cover. And I, I had watched your YouTube video not long ago, actually, on the, I think it was like the good, the bad, the ugly of book covers. And it was yeah. like so good. You you totally nailed it because like so many book covers, you look at them and you, like you were just giving that example about Hitch. You don't know what it is. You don't know what genre it is. You don't know if it's what the shopper is looking for, and so they're that they're confused. <laughs> they're not going to buy the book because they can't figure. They can't answer that first initial question.
1: Yeah, one of my favorite stories is um, when I was working with Orson Scott Card. Uh, he told me that when he wrote the book Ender's Game, that he actually had this epic battle with the publishers. Because when they showed him the original cover, which, you know, is a small spaceship leaving a very large, massive spaceship and going into space, right? Um, He was mad because he's like, that's not a scene in Ender. You know, that's not, there's nothing in the book like that. And the publisher said, look, it's not about the scene or if there is or isn't a scene in your book. It's about when the market looks at this book, they know it's an epic space, you know, um, space military Uh, sci-fi and he was like i don't know about that and i was i started laughing because i'm like you know scott um how i found your book which has always been my favorite book in um in science fiction and got me into science fiction was i got in trouble with a librarian and she literally sent me and she was like look you're gonna go find a book and you're gonna read it in two weeks or else i'm gonna you know have you suspended." <laughs> so, I was like, oh, crap. so I go back to the library It's the back of the library and I'm just rolling through the spines and I see the spine that has like a spaceship. I'm like, all right, I pull it out and I look at it, and sure enough, oh well, I like Star Wars, and that's a that's a spaceship leaving a really big spaceship, kind of like you know, the 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 um some of the Empire spaceships. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do that. Turned out to be one of my favorite books. And he just starts laughing. <laughs> awesome. He's like, Yeah, I have so many people tell me that same thing. He was like, the, the moral of the story is is that. If your book doesn't fit the genre feel and what people think they're looking for in that genre, then they're going to put it right back and they're not going to read it. And it doesn't have to have uh, a scene in your story.
0: Mm, That makes total sense. so true. It's a very powerful tool. Yeah, for sure. Actually, real quick, in the the, um, realm of keywords in your tagline or your subtitle, um, I have seen the, the indie authors a lot of times who will try to just stuff that with a bunch of keywords that are relevant. So how would you say is the best way to balance that and to um, put relevant keywords in there without it seeming like just a string of keywords?
1: Well, I, I think you answered it right there in the way you put it. First off, it's, it's a beautiful balance. Uh, we did find through an experiment at Kindlepreneur that words in the title and subtitle actually carry much more weight than the mm. seven kindle keywords so that is a major part of it we also discovered too that the title and subtitle are recognized by amazon as one thing um the, it's interesting is, is that inside a publisher rocket we actually had to specially code something to <laughs> split the two <laughs> in our findings because it just wouldn't be pulled from amazon um as separate well, we so we had to wow. separate yeah so that was a fun thing um, but like we said though is is that if i'm a shopper and I'm scrolling, and I see a really cool cover, and then I go to the title, and I see the subtitle, and the subtitle is, is totally spammy. Nah, I'm gone, right? right. Um, whereas, so you have to reach that balance of helping me to figure out who this is for and what does it answer, right? In nonfiction, it's about those things. Or in fiction, what kind of sub-sub-genre this is, And that, I think, is the right balance. Whereas when you start adding things just to add things, then I think you're reducing the legitimacy of your writing and therefore the conversion rate of your book.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense.
2: Kind of going off of that with the spammy subtitle thing, we had a question from a listener, and I've we've heard this question, Agnosium, is um, they say, I've noticed lots of people offer deals with their Kindle books, marking it inexpensively, or having it come with a freebie, or it is a freebie, or it includes a special ex- excerpt, etc. Is that a good marketing scheme, or should I just sell it like a hard copy version? Or if I do both hardcover and Kindle, should I emphasize one over the other in marketing it?
1: There are a lot of it depends to that answer. Um, First and foremost, I do think that if you write a series that your first book should probably be sitting at 99 cents Um, because getting somebody into the series and then knowing what the actual um, earnings per customer really is, I think is super important. And what I mean by that is, is that most people, if if I paid 99 cents and I got into your series and I actually read it there's an extremely good chance I don't care what the second book's price is, I'm going to buy the second book. I don't think $2.99 or even $4.99 is much of a deterrent because I'm hooked in the story and so long as the story's good. But what may be a deterrent is, well, am I going to pay $2.99 for the first book or $0.99 for the first book? I I think that those are really good marketing tactics. But like I said, I think series are very important um, for doing that. I also love... Uh, the idea of giving either a prelude or a side story for free for an email signup. I kind of call this the Kobayashi Maru tactic. I won't go into the details because I know we're coming up on time on why I call it that. But um, people fall in love with your story. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that an author makes when they're trying to get somebody to sign up for their email list is they offer them a completely different story. I'm sorry, but I'm not a fan of you as an author until I've read at least five of your books. And then I am a fan of you. So you're not just going to throw a random story at me and make me think, oh, I should give you my email for that. But say, for example, I was reading this book, this romance book, okay, um, and the characters kept mentioning Mr. X and the date from hell, okay? Oh, man. Oh, yeah, let's not have this be another Mr. X issue, you know, or... Man, she just about swore off men after Mr. X, you know, and you keep, you don't need to know the story of Mr. X, right, in order to advance through the story you're in. But boy, wouldn't that be a high converter if you said, here's the date from hell, you know, sign up and I'll send you the date from hell Mr. X came to town. Um, Yeah, I'm not a romance reader, but I'd be like, oh, that sounds pretty good. I want to read that. You better believe Now, not only are you getting people to sign up for your email list, Okay um, you're, they're probably going to actually read it instead of delete the email when it comes in, which means they've now read two of your things. They're getting closer to becoming a fan of you. I think giving away side stories like that, uh, or preludes to the, to the book, you know, like what happened when earth actually fell, uh, you know, and the aliens took over earth Um, You know, things like that. I think that those really generate a lot more engagement, a lot better fans, way better email signups than like promotions. Um, And so I think those can be really, really effective methods. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other ways to dissect that question, but I think those two things are two messages I'd really push to anybody listening.
2: That's super solid advice right there. Is. So to kind of wrap this up with you, Dave, um, do you have any? Pl- you kind of mentioned a plan earlier going forward with Kindlepreneur. If you want to talk a little bit about that, and also where people can find you and all of these amazing materials you provide.
1: Well, thank you. Um, yeah, so with Kindlepreneur, a lot of what we're doing is we're creating content that the whole focus is on helping people to learn, take action, turn around, and see results. Uh, a lot of things we have. We have a lot of free courses. We actually have free courses on how to use MailerLite um also another one is on amazon ads and these are full free video courses so if anybody's interested in checking those out uh we can make sure to put a link uh somewhere for that and um if you guys have any questions if anybody was kind of confused about something i said you can always hit me up on the contact page at kindlepreneur i'll be more than happy to answer
2: fantastic awesome. That's awesome and again i will link dave's youtube channel up in the corner there go follow that full of amazing information for your starting out as an author. Thank you, Dave, so much for being here. We so appreciate it. Yes,
0: thank you so much.
2: It's awesome. Thank you for having me. So we hope you guys enjoyed that amazing information-packed interview with Dave Chesson of Kindlepreneur. As much as we did, we had a great time chatting with him, learned a lot. We hope you guys did too. Comment below and let us know your thoughts. We would absolutely love to hear them. Are you working on publishing a book? We'd love to hear about your journey, and uh, be sure to follow Dave. By the way, go check out Kindlepreneur, check out his software, check out some of his amazing free courses. You can check out all of that with the links down in the description below. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening to this on some other podcast platform, just head over to YouTube. It's YouTube.com/kamens. You'll see the new podcast episode. Click on that, and then in the description, you'll find a link to get to Dave's amazing course and you can really do a deep dive into all of the stuff that we broke down with dave today which was amazing so don't miss out on that it's awesome be sure to follow his youtube channel and follow him on his social media of course as well you are going to want to stay up to date on the amazing materials he's releasing as you continue to embark on your indie journey or even traditionally publishing journey as an author this is invaluable stuff
0: yeah For sure. And as always, the best way to support the podcast is to share it with a friend or go to patreon.com slash the Kate and Abby show. And there you can get a kind of like backstage pass to the show, the podcast, get voting power, all kinds of cool stuff. Check that out or just share the podcast with a friend. That's always an awesome way to support the show. And we will see you in the next episode. Until then, rock on and stay stoked.